Mm, here we are. Here oh, we you are. know what? I haven't done an intro song in the last couple of weeks, and I missed this in October, so I'm going to do one, okay? Okay. Did we screw that up? I did, I think. No, I did. I wasn't ready. That was the Adam's family. Yeah, they're How did we miss that? How did I miss Yeah, we were plowed through October, and there's no Thanksgiving songs. Um, no, there's not. So, well, I'll just have to start early in December. Okay. Jamie will be mad. He'll love it. He'll love it. Jamie definitely listens to our podcast. Yeah, all the time. Him and Nadir just repeat it <laughs> while they sit in their hot tub with their caviar and champagne. Play a little of this. It was either this or... Okay, uh, Taylor, we got a bunch of stuff to get through. Okay. Can I tell you what we got? What did we get? We got a Roomba. Oh, yeah. I did an Insta story about this. Um, because I'm home alone now, the kids are back in school. Right. Um, there's not a lot of um, sentient beings in the house. Sure. We have a gerbil hamster thing. Uh-huh. Well, a guinea pig. It's Lindsay's classroom pet. Okay. But uh, the Roomba, I get very excited because, um, you know, I was a computer programmer majoring for, computer programming major for like a semester. I did not know that about and you. I, I, so I know enough to like watch as the Roomba gets trapped. It working through the algorithm that I know that's programmed in its robotic head. Yeah. And I, I get excited and I want to cheer for it. And uh-huh. I'm like, is it going to make it out? Is it going to make it out? Is it going to make it out? And I calculate angles with it. Yeah. So I like the Roomba. And it's the only other person in the house besides Lindsay that helps out with um, housework. The cleaning? Yeah. Um, it always makes it though, doesn't it? Out? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder how it gets into the spaces it gets into that I can't get back out yeah. of. Like, Sometimes mm-hmm. Kathleen, oh, we talked about this last week, um, like that in my house, the person who deals with, the, who can speak to the Roomba through their phone is Kathleen. And you said it's Lindsay, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I have just sort of a tangential relationship with the Roomba. Kathleen really always knows what it's doing. I think I've just been surprised how much of a presence it is in the house. It is. It really, you can tell it, um, for a robotic small being, it has a large presence in the house. And I think I like it because I like the, the Back to the Future movies and like how they project like 2015 and beyond would be. Uh-huh. And I feel like this is like the first thing that's delivered. Yeah. The Roomba, the, the vacuum cleaner that you can co- control remotely yeah. and just does the housework while you're gone. It's like yeah. a dream as a kid. Somebody to do the dishes for me. I think probably the ring doorbells are also. Oh, those are good. Like that. Yeah, that's right. You can talk to people from anywhere. There are also some bad things that they didn't really project. So. Well, it was amazing too how um, Michael J. Fox's future-looking clothes looked a lot like the 1980s in the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, is funny. Anyways, I like the Roomba. It's yeah. been the new exciting thing in our house. It's very helpful. Very helpful. Well, um, I, we got to do our weekly check-in with the West Wing. Okay. Oh can, my gosh. Please. Can I tell you something? Yes, definitely. So, um, this is my favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> um, well, this is just sort of a footnote. So I, I watched the episode where the president, we found out he has MS uh-huh. and, um, Leo also has a volume addiction. Spoilers. And so they're having a conversation about when Leo's story is going to break. Yeah. And like, um, CJ says, well, it's on the internet already, but it'll break in the news tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's dated. Crazy. Like, it's on the internet, but we all know that. But it, we're not counting that as <laughs> bra- breaking. Yeah. yeah. That's sort of fun, a cultural experiment to watch the show evolve and watch history evolve. Yeah. But God dang it, that show still anticipates and deals with my current issues in such a meaningful, cathartic way. It's crazy, right? I watched the death penalty episode today. Oh, did you? Yeah, it was so good. Where he, at the end, has this priest in the office, and then he he says, what do you want me to call you, Jed or Mr. President? And he says, I'm the office, call me Mr. President. And at the end, the priest calls him Jed, and he says, do you want to 
confessed. Give me your confession. Oh my gosh. I know. That's billion dollar TV. It is. It is. And also the scene with Toby and his rabbi. Oh my gosh. And the girl singing in the background. <laughs> and at the end, Toby's like, Ish, was this on purpose? And the rabbi's like, I don't know. You know, God does our God. Does. No, he says, so um, he says, she's our um, press secretary. Oh, man. Or what is Toby's so job? good. Director of communications. Yeah, she's, he says she's our director of communications. Oh, man. Aaron, well, this is going to lead me to my because uh, yet again, when you just didn't think he could do it anymore, Aaron Sorkin proves yeah. he is the smartest person in America. I will say the trajectory of the West Wing is not always headed straight up. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, it's people not always great. after season four. But um, I will say for a while... It is for you. You still got a lot of really great moments ahead of you. Okay, now let, let me heap more praise on him before I give my my scathing. Okay. First critique. Okay. So the episode, I was very impressed. He um, through the lips of um, a faux uh, campaign manager, um, Bartlett talks to her about Aquinas and Augustine. Yeah. And even he mentions like uh, Kant's categorical imperative and other things. So it's like uh-huh. okay, these are smarties in the room. Right. But. I think it was either in that episode of the episode four, Bartlett quotes the scripture and he said he wanted to do the pale horse rider quote. Uh-huh. And he called it Revelations with an S. Oh, he like did? Four times. So Revelations? Yes, four times. <gasps> that feels like an easy one to me. I know, of all the taboo. So, But, you know, that's just us being religion nerds. Anyways, doesn't but he is a religion. I, I think actually what I got excited about is uh-huh. that it was like, okay, Aaron Sorkin puts on his pants one leg at a time, just like me. He's <laughs> Aaron like, Sorkin he's can human. Make mistakes too. <laughs> so, I don't mean to cheer against them, but it's just when somebody's so awesome, it sometimes yeah. feels good to see them fail a little bit. So like, all right, yeah, back down to earth. I um, I meant to tell you because I was I've been listening to the podcast, the West Wing podcast, which has uh, Rishi Hirway and a guy named Josh Molina. Who's not? Who is eventually in the cast, but not yet. And um, they had Aaron Sorkin on, and it was really interesting to listen to him talk about. Um, you can't listen to it yet because it's after the end of the first season. So, but I'll send it to you when you get done watching the first season. Um, and he talks about how you know the first season of The West Wing. He was writing two weekly TV series. He was also writing Sports Night. Oh my. Goodness. I know, isn't that crazy? I think, though, you know, that does seem absurd to me, and I would never be able to do that. I do think there's this state of artist I'm learning, like a state of mind where they're in the flow. Uh-huh. And it's surprising. Well, that's what, what I was going to say. I do think you could do that, but it's like, it's one of those things where it's like the thing in front of you is the thing you have to do. Yeah, he wasn't seeing his wife and kids. No, yeah. He wasn't eating. Tommy Schlamy, who is also was like a producer and directs a lot of the, what, the first season of The West Wing, was also producing and directing Sports Night. Which was the other show? Yeah, and they it was like he said later. Since then, he's like his kids will sometimes be like, "Well, you know that year we didn't really see you," <laughs> and he like didn't realize that it was right that it seemed that much to them. Well, we appreciate their uh, f- sacrifice. We do. Certainly. We were the recipients. Um, Taylor. Yeah. I, well, I should say earmuffs for those who don't want to know. If you're in the middle of Shit's Creek, I'm going to make a reference to an episode I saw at the end of season three, I think. Okay. Okay. So David has opened up the store. Uh-huh. Rose Apothecary. Yeah. And uh, Patrick. Uh-huh. They're celebrating, gives him a gift. What does he give him? He gives him a copy of their first sale receipt in a <laughs> picture frame. Isn't it so sweet? And I'm like, that is some next level writing. <laughs> Uh, and I'm not a gift giver. I don't even like gifts. Josh. I was moved. It's going to go up from there. That was the second spades moment. You promised me spades. Yeah. I'll take that one. Okay, good. 
So that was beautiful. Hey, uh, change gears here. Okay. Guess who's uh, AP preseason number one in the nation? Who? Men's basketball. Oh, who? Baylor Bears. Number one? Yeah, Dickie Vitale has them all the way down to three, I think. But they're legit. They are legit. It's because we're returning everybody. And you know what? I've always heard Scott Drew is a really nice guy. So it always makes me so happy for him when they're like ranked high. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of strange because he like lives in this town. I could potentially meet him at some point. But I I don't know him at all. And it makes me really happy for him when they're ranked high. And it made me really sad that everything fell apart with the tournament when they were doing so well last year. Well, and he's been here a long time. Yeah. So kudos to that. And And the Baylor for not firing him. Right. Yeah. Talk about inheriting a mess. Yeah. So I just ba- really respect Baylor all that. Baylor sports program offer that uh, coaching, those coaching opportunities <laughs> yeah. frequently. Yeah. Okay. Um, hey, here's another thing. Okay. Do you know Sean Connery passed away? I did hear that. It was very sad. Yesterday I was watching a movie on TV and it went to a commercial break, but instead of going to a commercial, it was just like R.I.P. Sean Connery and a picture of him. There was mm. no commentary. Those are always the most salient and the hardest for me to see. Uh, for me, I was like... I, that's so interesting because I feel opposite. I'm like, oh, what? the silence. What's I like happening? subtlety. For the record, I was watching Twilight. <laughs> I shouldn't. Have, I shouldn't <laughs> admit that. But I was watching one of the Twilight movies, and then it just was like R.I.P. Sean Connery, and then it just went to commercial. And I was like, what does Sean Connery have to do with Twilight? Well, he has a lot to do with a lot of good things. We but. just lost four listeners because no. you admitted to watch or listen, watching Twilight. <laughs> I don't think so. I bet we gained listeners. That's true. All the Stephanie Meyer fans out there. <laughs> All the Kristen, what's her name? Uh, uh, oh gosh, I almost said wig, but that's very wrong. Kristen Stewart. Stewart fans, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well, oh, I, what I did. Do you know what Twilight's big on, though? Of vampires? The TikToks. They oh. love talking about Twilight on the TikToks. Like fans do? Uh huh. Oh, well, I'll have to. I just downloaded TikTok today. Yeah. Wasted so. an hour of my life. <laughs> so. Hey, um, I, what I did is I made a list of top five Sean Connery movies for me. Oh, great. Yes, please share. Okay, number five. He had a bit role, but it's because I fell in love with both actors in the same time. Okay. Um, uh, Robin Hood. He shows up as, oh. what's his name again? King, Prince, whatever. Prince uh-huh. John, King John. John, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Robin Hood. Kevin Costner was my guy. Still is. Yeah. Um, so that. Number four, okay. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Sure, absolutely. Indy. You know, it's, he's, the, he's old late in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rock. Escape from Alcatraz, number right. three. Yeah. Great film. Mm-hmm. Honorable mention to Entrapment with Catherine zeta Joe. Did you ever see that? Okay, no. Good film. Um, okay, number two. This is my, um, I would not win any polls with this pick. Okay. Finding Forrester. Okay. Do you ever see that movie? I'm going to be really honest. I don't think I've seen any of the movies that you've talked about. Well, for listeners, I'll turn my attention to you now. <laughs> In the number one spot was a movie that was my favorite movie when I was a kid. And also had Kevin Costner at The Untouchables. Great score, by the way. Any McCorn, Macaron. I don't know if I said his name right. Cool. So I just wanted to pause and remember Sean Connery. I know. You know what's crazy? Go ahead. Well, I just think it's very interesting. None of those were James Bond movies, were they? Well, I'm about to say. Okay. You know what's interesting is um, I had robustly evangelical parents who were guarding me from the wiles of the devil. Sure. And um, no no more um, stringent effort was put into that, into the way we consume media. Mm -hmm. Whatever reason, Mm -hmm. slimy James Bond... He was allowed? Was allowed. He was always bedding women. I know. And he, um, you know, I guess there was a minimum, like they don't swear in those movies, do they? No, I don't think so. But uh, some of the most suggestive sensual sexuality in um, not R-rated films you'll find. And I could have seen that if, if James Bond had been an American spy. 
Sure. Because God bless the American military. Absolutely. But the fact that it was British, you know, you can't yeah, trust those guys. Yeah, should have really just, like, counted him out. But somehow. James Bond, Bond was allowed. Wow. I love that. So, yeah, that was that was the way I took in the world yeah. to begin with. Through so thank you, Bond. Sean Connery. Yeah, R.I.P. to Sean Connery. He did some really great work. He did do good work. Okay, we have to issue, I have to issue a very large apology. So in expressing gratitude for our faithful listeners, we wrongly attributed a um, a review to a person. We did? Well, because somebody, I'm trying to pull this up on my phone. Somebody yeah. named E. Sands left the review that I read out loud and attributed to Dan. Um, but that was not Dan's. And to my credit, he um, his had, I don't think it had loaded yet. So E. Sands, uh, um, you know who I was thinking maybe that was? Emily Sandoval? That's what I was thinking. But I was like, well, I'd be so honored if she actually listened. I oh. don't think she would have time to. Yeah, of She's course. got 20 kids. and She, has, so e. she Sands, has the same number of kids as you. I know. It feels like a lot. She said five-star review for five-star five, uh, five star people. Love you oh guys. Oh, my gosh. Green heart emoji. Thank you, E. Sands. Hopefully, Emily Sandoval. Yeah. Or whoever, whoever. Whoever took the time to love us. Yeah, let us know, actually. Okay, listen to Dan's. This is clever. Okay. This is very forish. Okay. Galileo. Sir Isaac Newton. Marie Curie. Pele. Peter Frampton. Floris Nightingale. Shell Silverstein. Stevie Nicks. Kenny Loggins. He's, he's really devolving here. Yeah. Ariel from The <laughs> Little Mermaid. Mr. Miyagi. Lady Awen. Mm, thank you, Tolkien. Taylor Post. Josh Carney. That's wow. his review. That was fantastic. Wow. Thank you to our reviewers. Dan. Sorry, we got it wrong. Emily, potentially. E. Sands, we're sorry we got it wrong. Yeah, we are. So, rate and review us for a chance to win a million dollars. Yeah, one we'll, million. We will buy a lottery ticket and set it aside to say this is yours if it wins. Yeah, we will. So, there's that. Um, okay, now I have one more thing to talk about. Okay, great. Let's I think, well, maybe that was everything on the list. Okay. No, I think that was everything on the list. Okay, great. Do you have anything you want to talk about? No, I'm so pumped from the... Uh, West Wing Shits Creek conversation we had. Oh, you like that? I'm still pumped about it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll keep gathering fodder. I will say, um, my to keep you updated on my house buying journey. Oh yeah, we can hear about that. My landlord and a realtor came by today to kind of figure some things out, and so we're in the beginning of conversation. I love it. Now's the time to buy. We just refinanced. Really? Now is the time to buy? Listen to this. After refinancing, and granted, we have equity that is getting swallowed up into this rewritten loan that's now sure. there. Right, so we paid off about thirty some grand, uh-huh. um, and um, we're going to get new insurance that is, does the same for less. Uh-huh. Our payment is going to be exactly the same, actually a little bit less on a fifteen year note than it was on a thirty year note. <gasps> Granted, we were six years into the thirty note, so it's like a twenty four year note versus a fifteen. But with all those changes, it's the same, and we're going to pay it off now, eight, it- eight years, nine years sooner. Oh my gosh! Isn't that insane? That is crazy. Look what Yahweh did. I do feel like she kept being like, the realtor kept being like, ooh, a great yard, large bedrooms, and I love the house. I think all those things are true. Yeah. And I kept wanting to be like, uh, it's like medium. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was being insane, but yeah. also I love the house, so. Well, I'm excited for you, Taylor. Oh, thanks. I'm I love excited. the idea of you being in Waco forever. Me too. Well, or as long as I'm here. Owning a house in Waco is a dream. Yeah. Okay, well, um. We're going to have to go to commercials, um, but before we do, I just have to say I'm I'm so excited about our guest today. Me too. Me too. It was a really fun conversation. What a dynamite individual. I should also yeah. say um, if we have listeners who um, you may have noticed on this one, we have the we had to check the expletive box. Yeah. And so if that is something that um, doesn't sit well with you, either take the kids out of the room, put on your own earmuffs, 
or don't listen and tune back in next week when we get a, an evangelical again or something like that. But uh, Holly Laurent, world famous, internationally celebrated comedian who has hosts the podcast. It was our that was ours. Mega, which is a mega church spoof. Uh, speaks very candidly and I think um, tenderly and yeah. vulnerably and beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, are we excited to have you guys listen to that. Yeah, so excited. All right, Taylor, let's, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Taylor, do you ever miss those big city experiences like Broadway or the Sears Tower? <laughs> ever long for the swanky <laughs> shows or a great restaurant experience? I do, yeah, all the time. Well, boy, do I have good news for you. Oh. Right here in Waco, you can have one of those otherworldly big city dining, David Rose approved dining experiences. Oh my gosh. Do you know where? Where? Harvest on 25th. Oh. Harvest is a cutting edge restaurant that sources all their products locally, so you can always be sure you're consuming free range, GMO free, fair trade, organic food products that will take your body from zero to hero. <gasps> I love that. World renowned chef Juanita Barrientos and her team have put together a menu that Anthony Bourdain got rested soul would envy miso okay. apple french pie toast uh sourdough pancakes and a harvest falafel salad come to mind just to name a few wow so if you want an extra special dining experience here in waco check out harvest and 25th that's 112 north 25th street or give them a call at 254-313-7285 or visit them on harvest25th.com get the breakfast tacos Taylor, I'm so excited about our next sponsor. Ooh, who is it? It's Mardell Christian Bookstore. Oh my gosh. Mardell has all of the most relevant cliche Christian products on the market today. Wow. Taylor, have you ever found yourself green with envy when you look over the fence at what the pagans have to play with? Yes. Fear no more. Christians have created a knockoff that has been bathed in the blood of the lamb and Mardell carries it. <laughs> For great t-shirts that say things like, I put the stud and Bible study are catch up with Jesus, wow. shop Mardell's extensive clothing line. Still not satisfied? Then browse their book selection with great titles like Why the Democrats are Satanists, <laughs> Purpose Driven Lawn Care, and Girl, Take Some Prozac. <laughs> or if you want to compete with Joanna Gaines, but you don't want pagan products in your household, have no fear, because Mardell has some home decor lineup stuff that Martha Stewart might have used in 1985. For all of that and more, shop Mardell Bookstore, 4324 Waco Drive. That's 4324 Waco Drive. Or call them at 254-399-9237. Um, I think we're going to get in trouble for this one. <laughs> Hello friends, one quick note before we give you to Holly um, There was one point in which our conversation with the internet got a little bit weak So I had to go back and edit that So it will seem like Holly ends her point abruptly And Taylor begins her next question abruptly That of course is the best I could do And my main goal was to preserve the integrity of the point Holly was making to honor her uh, But nonetheless, you'll detect that Just going to acknowledge it before you get going Okay, we are joined here by Holly Laurent Did I say that right? Yes Holly, thanks for being with us. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It is a true pleasure. Now, Holly, um, I've been an evangelist about what you do, but just because we will have listeners who don't know, can you describe um, who you are and in particular what the podcast is about? Yeah, I am. Uh, I kind of describe myself as an improviser first. Like I, I love improv. I love live theater. It's the thing that makes my heart dance the most. Um, I'm also a writer and an actor and director. And, um, but of course the one I'm the most in love with is the one that will never pay <laughs> and will keep me poor forever. Um, but I, a few years ago, I started a podcast, uh, called mega and it is an improvised satire of a fictional mega church. And, um, each episode we have a comic come on the show and they play a different character on the church staff or community. 
and um, we kind of interview, it's sort of an improvised interview in character. And it's always so fun and funny. Like we, it, it, in, in the beginning, we were kind of trying to find our legs and now I feel like the show is, um, <laughs> we're having so much fun doing it. And we're like, how long will we do this? And we're like, well, as long as we're still making each other laugh and, and as long as it still feels fun, um, but we're having this strange side effect that we never foresaw. We set out to do a comedy podcast. And so our goal was to make people laugh, period. And to be as funny and smart as we possibly could be and to create cool, layered, interesting commentary about the world in which we live, but um, that there was nothing more important than it being the funniest possible thing we could make. And then this side effect has happened where <laughs> We keep getting contacted by listeners saying that they are experiencing healing through laughing about some of this stuff and not taking it too seriously and, and um, just thinking with a more lighthearted approach to managing some of the maybe pain that has come from uh, an evangelical upbringing or a mega church type of culture that um, people might have you know, felt lost in or, or found in or, or whatever. So it's kind of uh, turned into this therapeutic thing for me, for sure. Um, it has really helped bring some healing to me as an individual. Um, and, and it's so exciting to hear from other people, both people in mega churches, pastors, worship pastors, um, uh, uh, pr praise and worship like leaders, um, uh, ex-evangelicals, evangelicals, megachurch people, uh, like high church people, like in UK, like all these different, it, it's kind of a, it's been really interesting to us that we were shooting for an audience of comedy nerds and what we accidentally hit was a full spectrum of evangelicals all the way to ex-evangelicals. And it's somehow speaking to people on all parts of that range of that spectrum, which is yeah. endlessly fascinating to me and really surprising to us. Uh, I want to say two things to set up this question. One is, and you acknowledge this in the interview I listened to with Bart Campbell, there's a lot of really bad attempts at people trying to satirize the church, which is begging to be made fun of. But um, you guys do it really well. Um, and I can only think of like one other really good attempt. Have you ever read Christopher, Moore, Christopher Moore's book, Lamb? No. Oh my gosh, it's called Lamb, and the subtitle is, um, is it the Gospel According to Christ's Childhood Pal Biff or something like yes, that? Something it would be, you. it's right up your alley, you'd love it. All that to say, you guys do excellent humor, um, really high-grade um, quality Hollywood humor, and so I appreciate that. But given that, and, and I, the other thing you said in that interview is you felt like you really go after evangelicals, or at least the megachurch, I should say, and you differentiated between culture and belief, which I think is important, but... Um, have you been surprised in particular by the, the warm response from the evangelical demographic? Yes, and it has um, helped me evolve a little bit in terms of the trajectory of my personal journey with this. I think I had such, I had such a, um, I'm, a I'm a highly sensitive person. <laughs> I've learned in therapy, I'm an HSP, I'm highly, highly sensitive. And that's from everything from like 
fabrics that I wear to light in a, in a space. Mm -hmm. It's kind of all five senses. Like I, I'm really affected by smells and light and sound and, and fabric and touch and like all of those things. But man, oh man, on a spiritual and emotional level, it, it, it has been a very difficult um, path for me because I just feel everything so much. And I'm also very empathic. It's exhausting. It's, yeah. it's when you feel whatever the people in the room you're in are feeling and you're feeling what they're feeling as well as what you're feeling. And it's, it's um, been such a taxing, difficult thing for me to kind of learn about and then learn how to manage and then learn how to make um, healthy boundaries and to protect myself and to use this uh, sensitivity that I have to use it for good rather than to be kind of beat down by it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but all that to say as such a highly sensitive kid, um, I kind of walked away with the type of evangelicalism that I was raised with I walk. Oh, I walked uh, through that with um, deep, deep wounds. Like it was very, very hard for me. It was, you know, the the idea of. Um, I just really felt like I couldn't find the right Jesus gear in in my like shifter in the car, and I was like, maybe I don't have one. And I had such a deep knowledge of the Bible and because everything in my family's life was about the Bible and about church and about Christianity and saving souls for Christ and snatching people out of hell and getting them into heaven. And that that is the most important work you can do in this life and all of that stuff. But I almost had too much knowledge because I was, I would like study Calvinism and predestination and all that stuff. And when I came across predestination, I was like, Oh no, I'm just not predestined. Like I can feel it. Like, I, I'm the black sheep in this family and I feel off and I feel outside and I feel like I can't find that Jesus gear in, in the shifter. And I, and I, Oh no, this means I'm destined for a very real hell and that's going to suck. <laughs> and like, um, like, I think I really actually developed some pretty deep, like, um, uh, attachment wounds and early traumas from that. Yeah. And so my, my response in a nutshell was to really be like, oh, I know all of this is true, but it, but I am outside of that fold. And so I'm doomed and so it, my sort of adolescent response was to be like, well, then here I go. I will just go do all the things. I will drink. I will smoke. I will do drugs and have sex and do all the things they said not to do because I'm going to hell <laughs> anyway. Um, so I might as well be like, well, what's all that stuff about that is off limits? And so I just, it was like rebel, rebel, rebel. And then um, I, uh, I, I swung, and then in adulthood, and I went to graduate school, and I did all this stuff to, I, I studied, I, I, in college, I studied the Bible. 
I was a Bible and religion major and I studied world religions and I got deep into studying the Bible and I took so many of the Bible classes at my Christian college that they ran out of courses to offer me. And so they started letting me enroll in classes in the seminary in the graduate school that was attached to my college. And so I started taking all of these um, graduate level classes and I took Koine Greek so I could translate the New Testament myself and be like, what, what is this saying without the layers of like the people through the years that added stuff to put in the medieval time stuff of Lord and servant and, you know, yeah. uh, all the stuff that makes it sound like, wait, are we at a medieval times jousting thing? <laughs> Where did all this like Lord and master stuff come from? Like, I don't think that's how this like little Aram this little Jewish guy who spoke Aramaic would really, I'm not sure if that's, well. yeah. <laughs> oh, so they were writing it to keep the serfs kind of in line. Oh, okay. And then the more I started to really um, study and try to make it my own, the more I just, um, like Bart Campolo describes it with, he, he has a beautiful book and movie with his father, Tony Campolo, called Why I Stayed, Why I Left, where Tony Campolo talks about why he believes and, and Bart talks about um, why he doesn't. And a big thing that Bart says is that like, what's hard for a lot of people who are believers to really accept from the people who have quote unquote, like walked away from the faith is that it's almost like they, and a lot of people, a lot of Christians have approached me with this kind of angle of um, like that I chose to walk away. Um, but really to me, it honestly feels like um, it's not that I don't believe anymore. It's that I can't because, because I don't like it stopped it stopped making sense and working for me. In some of the interviews that I've read, you have said often about how particularly being a woman affected some of that deconstruction and some of your feelings about like just not ever being able to find. I like the description you said of like, it's like not being able to find the right gear in a car. I, that feels very meaningful to me because I think growing up, I felt very similar, especially I felt a call to ministry. And it was like at the, you know, Southern Baptist church I grew up at, everyone was like, okay, maybe you'll like marry a guy who's a minister. And I was like, I don't think, I don't think so. I'm like, I'm still not married. I don't particularly want to be married even. And it's just like, even then I knew that wasn't the vibe. And so I wondered if you can talk like maybe particularly about the ways in which like being a woman um, or I mean a girl at that point in that environment, how it like what were the wounds that came from that? And I've also seen you or heard you talk some about like the podcast has been healing about around that in some ways, maybe just in being able to laugh about it or I mean, you know, and I would like to hear some about like what that is like for you too. Um, and where you've found healing as you've sort of continued on your journey around being a woman and like being able to be comfortable with that. Um, yeah. So I'd love to hear something about that. Oh, that's great. Okay. Lovely. Great question. And also <laughs> as you were talking, I was like, oh, the succinct answer I want to say to your previous question is the whole reason I was moved. I gave all that backstory is because what happened for me um, emotionally and spiritually and mentally is that I had such a strong reaction 
to the type of belief system that I was raised in, that, I, that my pendulum swung so hard to the exact opposite extreme where I was like, I am an atheist, like, or I'm a secular humanist or I'm whatever. But I recently had a conversation with my brother who has had a very similar path where he looked me in the eyes while we were having one of these soulful, like vulnerable conversations about our beliefs and about our point of view in the world and what does it all mean? And he looked at me and he was like, man, it was so easy and cozy being an atheist, wasn't it? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, and I'm just not there anymore. And I was like, yeah. I have swung back into this like swinging middle, gray land and a huge part of why I've done that is because some of the healing I've experienced has allowed me to open my ears again and some of the like pastors and church communities who have reached out to me through the mega like through they're like we're listening to mega will you come talk to our church community or whatever I have now been exposed to a in my opinion this is a dumb way to say it, but for lack of a better description, I've become exposed to this new kind of believer and Christian where I'm like, wow, that's some like beauty and mystery and intrigue and community and like an openness that like is unlike anything I grew up with in the church, all the stuff that was really so deeply wounding and damaging to me, like I'm seeing these, these communities and these individuals who they're doing everything but the, the stuff I was raised with. And so, um, I do, I do want to say really quickly, you hit like so many of our like buzzwords, beauty and mystery at UBC are like, and grayness are like our, some of our biggest things. We, we end each service every week by saying, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty and live life to the fullest. That's our benediction. And it's like Ah. so precious to all of us. I think so. Anyways, keep going. But I just wanted to say. That's, that's a, honestly, I keep having these magical connections so much lately. It's, I have goosebumps all over my body right now because that's crazy. The more I'm, I'm, cause I'm starting to realize like that as artists, I've been listening to Rick Rubin a lot and I've been listening to all these different teachers. I just feel like what, one of my teachers told me a long time ago that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Mm. I'm like, oh my goodness, right now I'm in this really like open, ripe, um, available listening state. Mm-hmm. And teachers are emerging everywhere I look. I'm like, that's a teacher, that's a teacher, that's a teacher, that's a teacher. And, and like, I, I and I realize it's because I'm ready. Like they're always around us, but you don't hear them until you can hear them. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's such a like fertile time and, um, there is such magic afoot. And, and I, I feel like every artist that I'm listening to, who's a great teacher, they're talking more and more about how like we are kind of as artists, we are like radios and we are antennas and we are channeling something some otherness like there's this thing Mm -hmm. that maybe is beyond our five senses 
but if you listen, you will channel it. And I honestly, when you say like, Holly, you're saying all our words, I'm like, oh, it's because right now we're connected and we're listening and I'm, I must be channeling. It's, it's <laughs> not to be like, ooh, but I mean, I love that boogly yeah. stuff. It's, it's crazy. Well, just my only request is that in your, your movement back to the middle in your recovery, you don't lose enough of the cynicism that you stop doing the podcast. <laughs> it's funny. I just talked to a writing class recently and they were like, what do you do when you get writer's block? And I was like, I think about what makes me angry. Mm-hmm. And honestly, so much of what mega and like my character, Hallie in mega is so like almost saccharine. She's so sticky, sweet and like positive and like, well, that's a cool thing. Awesome. Yes, 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 yes. And she is such a like positive and affirming character who questions nothing like who totally believes in her husband the bible her pastor her church these are all things that are like non-negotiable you don't question them they're right 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 and really in real life um what i'm doing through the voice of hallie is i am processing my anger like what are the things that really really makes me filled with rage to go back to your question about like as a female like my experience um i have a lot of anger but i'm also after 20 years i'm entering a phase where my anger is becoming productive and almost like delightful and curious to me like i can observe it now more and like watch it and not be consumed by it of like my feelings are so strong they might overpower me and take over me forever i can be like oh this emotion is passing through and how can i observe it and not identify with it like i think so often we identify with our feelings like if i if i feel jealous i'm like i'm jealous yeah. Like, no, I'm not jealous. I'm experiencing jealousy. Oh, I'm experiencing anger. I'm expe- I've never walked into a movie theater and been like, oh, I'm popcorn. I've always been like, oh, I'm smelling, I smell popcorn. You know, like why, wh- but why do we, it sounds crazy. If I say, oh, I, I'm popcorn. I sound like a crazy person because I'm identifying with something I'm just experiencing, experiencing through one of my senses. Like, no, but, um, <laughs> So, so uh, the funny thing though about anger is that like, I did spend 20 years, like my twenties and Mm thirties, I was so angry because ultimately I was so filled with fear. Like my experience was just fear, 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 fear. And my response to such deep and shattering fear was I just became so angry just enraged like you know when when somebody almost hits you in your car and you're terrified and then you're immediately like screaming at them like you idiot it's like that anger it comes from like the real emotion there is fear and so your response you know anger is a natural response to fear and um i spent 20 years uh doing everything and anything i could to just do anything I could to numb and shove down and not feel the fear and rage, like drink it away, uh, over schedule myself, stay busy, hide out in relationships, um, you know, never stop going. Oh yeah. Also I'm in comedy. Ha ha ha. This is about laughing. Blah, 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 blah. Like, um, 
to, to numb it and to shut it up and to shut it down. And really all of that running and numbing kind of futile behavior was because I would give anything to not feel fear and, and, and to be mad. I didn't want to be mad. It was such an unpleasant experience. I didn't want to feel that way. But what I have realized now is that there was nothing I could have done because mm. it, it's, it's one of the stages. And I didn't realize like, um, until I just wasn't angry anymore. I just, I just sort of slowly woke up like two years ago and was like slowly realizing like, oh, I'm not angry. Like it's all, it's all part of it. We're all these pieces of sediment, like in the river floating. And sometimes it's rapids and sometimes it's falls. And sometimes you get over into a fetid little, like, uh, in, like a trapped little area over there in the muck. And then you get pulled back into the river and keep moving and like, oh, everything's okay. It's okay. I'm okay. I, I have everything that I need in my art. I have everything that I need in my life. And it's so scary for me, someone who has done everything I can to like shield myself from heartbreak because I feel like I experienced so much loss and suffering at a young age that I've like done so much to protect myself from pain that I wasn't even letting in. You can't selectively numb, right? You can't numb the bad feelings and only have the good feelings. Like you're numbing all of it. So to feel loved, you have to also be open to feeling like this great loss and pain. And so to, to get back to like how I feel like I've swung back into now I'm just swinging back and forth in the gray area of that, of that sort of like pendulum of belief. It's because I've seen like, um, really interesting teachers emerging like um what's his name uh in comedy um pete holmes mm. like listening to pete holmes who was raised as a christian and followed all the rules and you know didn't have sex until he got married and and went by the christian playbook and then like got married uh had sex for the first time with his wife never drank never did drugs was doing the playbook and then all of a sudden his wife cheated on him and left him and he was like wait I did the thing you said and it didn't protect me from, yes. you know, pain and loss and the horror show. We're all afraid of the sky falling, you know? And like, I did everything you said and the sky still fell. And like listening to him say like, and so then he was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to go do it all. I'm going to go do those things. I'm going to do, I'm going to booze. I'm going to do drugs. I'm going to do psychedelics. I'm going to sleep around. I'm going to whatever. And, um, and it's so funny, like with him to hear him talk about how, like, it was actually mushrooms that brought him back to God. Like on these mu intense mushroom trips, he was exposed to this otherness that is beyond our five senses that is like, oh, there's something, <laughs> call it what you will, but there is something, there's so much mystery. and. Um, I, I don't, and, and so he was like, so I, he personally went back to the, the Christianity of his childhood because he was like, 
it, it, it ain't perfect, but it's my tradition and I can find the things about it that are like what you say, the beauty, the mystery, the goodness, the, um, uh, you know, and, and so really so much of what I feel like I go after in, in the, in the, you know, sort of satirical commentary I'm trying to layer into the mega comedy is, um, is the, the, the rigidity that is outside of that thing that we're talking about here. The like, no, every single word is God breathed and you know, all that stuff of like, um, the, sort of the, the, the ignorance that, um, so many Christians have of like, do, do you know this text? Do you stand by every word of this text? What does it mean? You know, like I, Hallie, I did a whole thing with um, my character on Mega of like, oh, homosexuality is not a word that even appears in the Bible. And we think the Bible is, is anti-gay. And it, it actually wasn't even talking about that. It was talking about a different Greek relationship that was like actually like a, a transaction, a like, <laughs> like that is not just two men falling in love and raising a family, for goodness sake, um, or whatever, fill in the blank with, you know, everything and anything. And so that's what I feel like I try to go after in that is like, um, you know, in the same way, like know thyself, it's like, well, know your text <laughs> and know where it comes from and what it's saying. And like, I feel like um, learning Koine Greek and learning how to translate the New Testament really uh, changed me forever because I was like, oh, when you just read the Bible in English at face value, you're accepting a lot of different like people's processes and translations and them translating it into their specific culture over and over and over and over. And then we end up with these things where we're like, God hates gay people. And it's like, no, that's, that's actually not there. <laughs> um, Holly, I've been saving two questions that I wanted to ask. I guess this isn't so much about you or that podcast, but you're like the, our only chance to talk to a real comedian. Um, and so these are more philosophical kind of mile high views. Um, so I noticed starting in the, in the Bush presidency and then into the Obama presidency that um, people began paying closer attention to like Colbert and to um, John Stewart than they were the news. And there was this growing, growing sense that there's a certain kind of credibility that comedians can get in our culture where we are right now that other people don't seem to be able to get. And the culmination for me in this moment was um, Nanette, um, Hannah Gatsby's piece on Netflix, where I got done and I had to pick my jaw off up the floor and just saying, that was like the best piece of rhetoric I've seen maybe in years. And realizing that she had, she had figured out the thing I'd been feeling for years, um, where uh, comedy can disarm and, and get a kind of credibility that a lot of other forms of communication can't. Do you think about that sort of thing? And do you feel like you have experiences with that um, either in what you do on the podcast or in other forms of stand-up you've done or other things you've tr tried to do? A hundred percent. And I had the same experience watching Hannah Gadsby, Nanette. Um, I found myself physically shaking at points, weeping at points. And then I texted everyone I love and was like, don't talk to me ever again until you've watched this. And then I immediately watched it again, like two more times in a row. Um, 
Yes. Comedy, I feel like it is such a special art form because it is that exact word you said. It's disarming. When you make someone laugh, they kind of set down their weapon for a second because they're just enjoying themselves rather than being on alert of like, no, you're wrong, I'm right. You know, they're like, ah, we're laughing. We're laughing about the human experience. We're laughing at ourselves. Um, you know, I, I almost feel like comedy is kind of that, uh, like remember in old like medieval villages, like the night watchman would stay up shining the light to like keep everyone safe, like looking in all the dark spaces, you know, I feel like that's what comics do now is we're shining a light on everything of like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are we looking at this? Are we okay with this? Is this something that we feel like is that a standard we want to live by? What about this? Like shining, we're shining light on things and saying like, um, let's look at this. Let's question this. Let's wrestle with this. Um, and and uh, a good comic is like, they, they have come to a point of being able to articulate those questions. And, um, and, and the best ones, I think, leave the answer in your mind. So they're not speaking it they're drawing it out of you, which, which actually is so powerful because it has the potential to actually create change in people. Um, it's a huge, it's a, it's a, it, to be doing comedy is a huge stage because people will listen. If you make them laugh, they'll listen. Mm -hmm. And, um, Greg and I come from a Chicago sketch and improv tradition, um, which is uh, to always play to the top of your intelligence, to not play dumb, but to, even if you're playing a dumb person, like Phoebe in Friends, like that took such a smart person, such a yeah. sharp actor to be able to like play that dumb so beautifully. Um, we come from a Chicago tradition where we were trained that the way to create the most, the, the way to create the sharpest social political satire and the most searing commentary is through being the very thing you want to shine a light on and, and raise some questions about and, and um, deconstruct a little bit. If you get onto a soapbox and kind of preach about why that's wrong, I'm sure you know, like if, if, if like you start telling people what to believe, mm. doesn't usually go well. Like change comes through relationship and connection. Like change comes through story and, and listening to people's story and, and helping them identify their values. And so, um, comedy can do that because you make someone's you make someone laugh and they um th there's a th like i listen to podcasts all the time to people who i've never met in my life and i feel like i'm spending time with friends mm -hmm. we have this like we start to you know like socially attached to these people and so comedians have a big responsibility i think to um to use that wisely because you do have people's ear. And so us coming from the Chicago tradition of like, if you have something to say about a type of person, a, a, a way of 
a, a belief system, a point of view, the best way to get people to um, be open to experiencing your commentary on that point of view is to be it to the top of your intelligence and with the most sincerity possible. Kind of yeah. like a Christopher Guest movie. Like those people are playing those characters so sincerely that it's hilarious, you mm -hmm. know? And so that's what we try to do with our characters on Mega is the, the unfeigned, like sincere point of view from these characters who deeply believe this thing that we're actually trying to shine a light on and make people think about, like, do I agree with that? Is that, it, does, that does that way of seeing the world represent my, my highest values? Is yeah. that a standard I wanna live by, you know? And I think some of that, right, is proof of understanding, which engenders like incredible buy-in, right? When someone is like, oh yeah, that's really what it's like. Like, this is clearly a person who understands this situation. And then you're also being, you know, you're including humor in that situation. It's all those things you talked about. They're like, this is a person who knows this situation well, whether because they've experienced it or because they've done their research. And then also they're funny. So like you said, like I have put my weapons down and like you said earlier, you know, like all of a sudden you're a student and a teacher is there and you can hear what they're saying. Oh so, yeah. yeah. Great. So yeah. that's like, that's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just realized I didn't um, really diligently answer your um, female, uh, your female question. And so to just like address that really quickly, um, I find much of, this is a gross generalization, so forgive me in advance, but I find much of church in general, culture, to uh, still hold a lot of destructive um, ideas about women and, and to use language unintentionally, just lazy, lazy language that we default into that is um, not helpful to, to women. And, um, and yeah, I've, I've gotten so, <laughs> I've gotten so kind of like, I hate to use this word, but just like militant about like in my own, in my own feminism, because um, I, I, I just feel it so deeply that um, you know, women make up less than one percent of the Bible. It's the same with the U.S. Constitution. It, it there is so much room for improvement. Like, if if women are not considered human in the Constitution of this country, like I have a problem with that. I take issue with that. Um, same, same same with the Bible. Um, but I think there's also something to not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. You know. It's really hard. Like I come from a tradition where every single word of the Bible is God breathed and you cannot cherry pick. You can't take away, if you take away the like, um, uh, you know, God hates gays or, or I should more accurately, uh, love, love the sinner, hate the sin, you know, but like still saying that these people's existence is a sin. Same, same way I was raised where I would hear from the pulpit, the sin of, of booze or women. And I'm like, women? are a sin, you know, um, the story, you know, even just psychologically, the story of Eve, like being so unhelpful to females everywhere of like, 
oh, when you go for what you want, it not only destroys your life, it destroys all of humanity. <laughs> like, oh, oh, loud and clear. I will be quiet and subservient and not say what I want or take what I want or do what I want. I will get in line and then I will have a total breakdown <laughs> and, and a, a crisis at some point in my life because I am a creature of desires and, 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 and feelings and emotions, and those are okay. And I need to listen to the information that's coming out of my body all the time. My anger is good information because my anger is aroused when a boundary is crossed. A boundary is there because I, there's something I value that I'm protecting. So if something is encroaching on a value, like what is that value? I have to identify that value. So instead of having shame, which I think so much of biblical culture has given both females and males, shame, deep, deep, deep shame that is so unhelpful, that the more I can deconstruct shame and, and get to the truthiest truth of existence of like, oh, my hunches, my tastes, my desires, all of those things are um, good information for me to mine and, and to constantly help me clarify um, why I am here and what I am doing with this precious life. Um, that, it gets really exciting for me instead of being like mired in the, in the anger. Yeah. I do think a lot of what you just said reminds me about, I mean, uh, also some of my experience, but also it's like, you know, like you said earlier, there are things that are beautiful. Um, and one of the things I find so beautiful about Christianity is the idea that all every single person I meet is created in the image of God. Like we all bear that image into the world. And I think that sometimes as a woman growing up, what I took away from that though was like yeah. maybe that I didn't, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so I think I'm coming into this season of life where I'm realizing like, um, I do obviously. And like, so then my, my emotions, my tastes, like you said, the things I like, the things I enjoy, and obviously we have to be careful. Not everything I like is good just because I like it. You know what I mean? But it's like a lot of the time it is good and I'm allowed to just like really lean into being myself and the person who like I believe I am created to be and to call that good. And that was a very hard lesson to learn um, and a lesson I learned a lot from very beautiful teachers uh, throughout the course of my life, especially as I got older, because it was sort of, I had to deconstruct the things that I had learned earlier about how being a woman was sort of naturally, like you said, a sin, the sin of women or whatever it is, you know? Wow. So, so I think that's really beautiful. And thanks for sharing all of that. Oh, thank you for sharing that. It's, it's, and I have a question I want to ask both of you in a second, but um, yeah, to, to jump on what you were saying, I think I'm starting to realize more and more that like, I think part of the belief system that the, the Christian evangelical fundamental belief system I was raised in um, really was such a like limiting, um, like controlling, like 
this is how we can keep people in line, you know, like, and, and that might be for good reason. It, it might be like, we don't want teenagers to have babies because it'll ruin your life. So like, you know, don't have sex or whatever, but like it, 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 it went, when it becomes about the don'ts, I, I start to realize like, that's very uncompelling to me. Like I, I am an improv teacher and I teach a lot of improv students and like, I really try to never give them don'ts because when they're on stage in the middle of a comedy scene, if they're going through a list of don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, it's, it's a huge stumbling block. But if I give them a like, hey, try this, do this, it like kind of creates more openness and freedom and in a, in a, in an ability to learn and get it into your body in a, in a tangible way. But I, so I see churches now being like, here are some do's, <laughs> social justice, all of those, th you know, all of those things. Um, accepting, like living in mystery, um, choosing love. Like these are great do's. Sorry about the dog. You got um, a lot of dog lovers in the church. You're fine. <laughs> um, uh, like Bill Murray says, I've, I've trusted every dog. No, no. Like Bill Murray says, I, I never trust a person who doesn't like dogs, but I always trust a dog who doesn't like a person. <laughs> um, but um, it's, it's, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but the thing I was going to ask you two is, how do you experience God? You want to start? Go ahead. Um, uh, what a great question. I think for me, it's so interesting you bring this up. Um, I preached yesterday, which is a thing Josh lets me, I mean, like, it's, like that, no, sorry, that. no, not, not like let's, like, you know, what? it's Josh's job to preach, it's Josh's job to preach, and so he often extends the pulpit to me, which is very kind, and I appreciate, um, <laughs> I, I know. Like a no, um, he, like, <laughs> Josh is great. Josh is really great. Anyways, but I preached a sermon about legalism and how a lot of what Christ came to say, it was Matthew 23, and he's telling the people uh, who are following him, his followers, not to descend into legalism and that like a lot of what the uh, Pharisees and scribes teach, a lot of the rules, a lot of the laws are good. The laws are good, but they are using them not to like help people live their best lives, but instead to control people and to keep them in line. And it's like, that is the bad thing, the control and the sort of forcing people to do things a certain way and condemning them when they don't, that that is the bad thing. Um, and, the, and the good thing is sort of like the freedom of the love of God and being able to live into that and to live into the person God created you to be. And I think for me, a lot of the way that I experience God is through relationships with other people and sort of, like I said, one of the most beautiful things for me about Christianity is the idea that like we all carry the image of God into the world. And so every person I meet, something about them, you know, is reflecting God to me. And so like I can sort of, you know, so for different people, it's different things and it's just my favorite it's been the like worst part of this pandemic is that like 
I have a really hard time not seeing the people I love and also meeting new people. I'm yeah. not the most extroverted extrovert, but I definitely fall on that side of the scale. And so um, I think another thing that is important for me is like art and beauty. And so, I, you know, I've sort of been trying to read a lot of poetry, read a lot of things that are written very well, watch movies and shows that are meaningful to me. Um, and I find God in a lot of those things as well. Um, so I think, yeah, those are the two ways for me that it's like, when I think about where I see God in the world, oh, and also nature, nature's like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like that one seems like very standard, but it's like, today I just went and sat in my backyard and like, I was out there with my dogs, the wind was blowing, it's like 70 something degrees today, it's very beautiful. And it just is so, I just feel, you know, I think uh, like, uh, who was it you said that did mushrooms and felt like the divine otherness? Pete Holmes. Yeah. I, I often feel that way. Like, I'm like, yes, yes. I feel, um, it's not like God's sitting next to me or anything, but it's like, there's something else, you know what I mean? And I feel connected right now. Yeah. So yeah. I think beautiful. that those would be my answers. Do you come up with something? Okay. Um, well, thanks for asking. It's kind of, you flipped the mic. Um, yeah, I don't know that I can give profound answers that you probably haven't heard from history, but uh, we've discovered doing this podcast, Taylor tends to come thing, to things we call it humanely and I come through them idealistically. Um, so my categories are a little more platonic. You know, Pascal, he's a 15th, 16th, 17th century mathematician philosopher said that the heart has reason that reason knows not of. Um, and that's a quote that works for me. Another one, I just read David Brooks's book and he quoted somebody who said, um, I saw my daughter and I realized I loved her more than evolution required me to. And so it would be the amalgamation of these sorts of ineffable emotional experiences I have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think the other thing is occasionally I'll try on atheism as a thought experiment. Mm -hmm. And it's not that for me that that's not a compelling worldview. It's just all the hard questions just flip. So then it's why is there beauty? Why is there goodness? And those feel like instinctively they could be easy to answer, but they really aren't. Um, so I think that the journey I've been on is, um, you know, 15 years ago, I'd have been a much more dogmatic version of myself, but now it's like, okay, I'm a Christian still because this fits and I have experience to make sense of it. But the, the thing that really excites me now is um, I'm, I'm not threatened by where you're at or anybody else's at. And the global community of ideas has really opened up to me and um, we all get to grow and, and stick the antennas up, like you were saying. And I think that's what's new and that's what's invigorating to me. And I do experience God in that. That's a great, those are both great, great, great answers. I, I'm so curious because now I'm meeting so many cool Christians after having, you know, fled, you know, to the, the furthest recesses of like opposite. And, and now that I'm kind of back and like, hey, let's all talk. Um, years ago, um, I have a comedy duo with a, a girlfriend of mine named Jet, and um, she is kind of a cool visual artist. And a few years ago, she made me this little, it's like a line drawing that kind of has all this like soft watercolor around it. And it's a line drawing of these two little cat-like creatures wearing little crowns and sitting in a little boat. And above one of the little creatures, there's text and it says, um, do you believe in God? And then it's right there on my wall. I'm looking at it. I have it like directly next to my bed. And the other creature, the text by the other creature says, yes, of course. 
but where I'm from, it is pronounced love. Mm. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like maybe that exact thing, Josh, you're talking about, like, why, why do we have beauty and goodness? And there is no, there is no denying that there is light and dark. You know, there is deep, deep, like, um, I guess you would say evil, like the potential of some human beings and, and, and what they can do to others is so dark and so uh, um, bad. There is no denying that there is badness, but there's no denying that there's also such profound beauty. And man, it's, it's, it's interesting because um, I, I think that's the very thing <laughs> that, I'm, that I'm currently growing into is like, okay, I wanna mine this for a while. I want to um, <clears throat> shut up and listen for a while. Um, and and uh, create space for potential. And I think that's why I, as a female, had such a highly reactive and angry um, pendulum swing away from the Bible is because I felt like it was endorsing and propping up a culture that was very damaging to 51% of us, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and so much, but I know that guys, I know that fellas, um, and our, our family of LGBTQIA people, like the, our family members in the, in the LGBTQ plus, ex, uh, uh, community, like, you know, they've experienced such, um, a cruelty from, from this belief system. Um, but like a story that is ultimately about redemption maybe is worth redeeming. Like it sounds like you're doing with your community of like, and I've talked to other churches too, a church in Portland. I just talked with a really cool church in Portland. That's like, um, kind of similar to what you're doing of like creating a space where like it's safe to be anywhere on the spectrum of <laughs> what, where your belief and point of view is. Yeah. One of the typologies we try and offer consistently is this vision of a four stage development. And, you know, anytime you have four or five, whatever you, you probably is, it's a little bit threadbare, but that we start out as fundamentalists, we move to evangelicalism, we then go to deconstruction and you can hopefully graduate to a kind of mysticism. And um, the, the trick for us, though, hasn't is to kind of get out of the judgment of people in different stages and say they're not better or worse. It's just where people are and bless them and bring them along. And um, because we're all all the previous versions of ourselves too, you know, in this in these really? present moments and to be able to honor those and and take the good from what they were. There's such um, wisdom in that. Yes, there's such wisdom in that. Can I sneak in my other comic question? Yeah. So this is as probably as vulnerable as I'll get in the thing. So uh, to quote. Um, Emma Thompson and Love Actually about Joni Mitchell. You can you can be my emotional education and comedy on this one. So um, the, I think the one form of comedy that I just don't get sort of existentially, and it this is me saying it's because I don't get it, and I'm an idiot who has the residue of evangelicalism in my life are roasts. Um, 
And so, you know, I'm, I'll, I, I get snared by the three minute videos. I go and watch them all. Um, but the one that particularly uh, left me unnerved was the one where I saw Caitlyn Jenner on it. Uh-huh. And um, so this is, we did it a previous episode on cancel culture. Mm-hmm. And what's odd to me about roast is people say things in those that would destroy their career if it was in any other context. Now I get what's at play there is there's a sense of agency. Like everybody's agreed to be there and they know it's coming. But like I watched some of the jokes they made about um, Caitlyn Jenner in particular. And I thought she's, she's wearing this in my, just because I think she's, she's trying to develop a sense of who she is in culture. And maybe I just have way too many assumptions, but I'm like, I just, at the end of the day, cannot believe that this is what she wants for her life. And that this is really, honoring her and redeeming her. And then I think about the fact like we just came out of this process where we made space for LGBTQ people in our community. And I'm like, I feel like I'm competing with a narrative of the same community who I feel like led, led us there in many ways. Right. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, Hollywood. And, and so I don't know, I, I'm trying to offer that in humility, but also just to say I'm confused. And as somebody who has closer proximity to that, can you offer um, a, just a few words on that kind of comedy? Yeah. Um, I'm in the same boat with you. It always uh, really rubbed me wrong and almost made me feel like fear in my body, like coming up anytime that it would be a roast night in whatever uh, setting or scenario in the comedy community I came up in. I always avoided it. I left the building immediately. I, I and, and part of that is probably because I'm just really sensitive. And so I, and I'm, an, I'm very empathic. And so I feel... I, I just get so overwhelmed with like just the big, big feelings that like become very taxing to me. So some of it may be like you are sensitive. You have done work to try to see the world from other people's perspectives, to walk in other people's shoes, the stuff that like not everybody does. And so the fact that you've, you know, kind of done that and you've tried to like look through other lenses and walk in other shoes and um, take it all in and be sensitive to it. Roast culture is really, really, it's really rough. And I think like inside the comedy community, it's a little bit of a, um, um, it's almost like an insidery, like, this is just for us. You might be able to like tune in, but here's our like dark underbelly that isn't for you. We're not like, this isn't my crafted type five or 30 or my hour long special that I have crafted to take you on this comedic journey and this like thought experiment and to entertain you and to also make you think and to make you laugh and whatever. There's almost, I feel like it's just this more like, it's kind of the underground like, like it's the WWE of like, um, in, in the same way that like that wrestling, that, that, um, that, that wrestling culture where they're playing characters and it's theatrical and it's quote unquote fake. What they're really doing in those quote unquote fake wrestling moments is they're playing out like the realest, most real parts of humanity possible. And so they're kind of saying like, in this heightened, dramatic, crazy way with these characters and everyone like screaming around the ring and like actual violence and, you know, beating each other and whatever, they're actually like touching on like some of the deepest possible truths that make us say, 
oh, we used to think that wrestling was fake and everything else was real. And what we're learning from wrestling is like, everything's fake. <laughs> like it's all these like facades that we're putting up. And so I almost think that in a way, roasts are kind of like the WWE part of like, like it's, it's the, it's the naughty hand slapping underbelly of like, oh, now we're going to get really real and we're going to just take the piss out of everyone. There are no sacred cows. Nothing's off limits. Part of it is a rite of passage of like, well, you should be able to take it. If it's your turn, you know, if you show up for it, then you should be able to take it. Um, I, I avoided roasts like the plague for most of my comedy career. And now after two full decades, I'm just now starting to turn a corner and be like, oh, there's some deep truthy truth in here. Mm -hmm. And, and it's all totally fake and it's all totally real, much like everything else we're, <laughs> you know, like experiencing on a daily basis. Um, but, but all that being said, I find it really hard. It just it like hurts my tender soul. I might just be a little too, too tender for it. Um, you know, sometimes if it's somebody you want to see, like, yeah. believe me, there are certain comedians where I'm like, oh my, if there's ever a roast for this guy, like sign, I'm like <laughs> the first one because I actually have things to say about this dude or whatever. But um, it's, it's just raw and it's, it's real. And it's like, it's um, no holds barred. And um, so it's, it's just not for everyone. And it's a little bit insidery. So that might also be why it feels like, am I, am I supposed to be watching this? Like, it's like voyeuristic a little yeah, bit. I was going to say it felt voyeuristic. Yeah. 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 You get self-conscious because it's kind of like voyeuristic, but it's, it's really interesting because there is value in, in saying like, okay, I'm not going to take myself so seriously that I can't spend an hour listening to people just take me down. That being said, I would personally walk away from that because I'm also like, you know, have you heard about like love languages? Yeah. So my love languages are definitely um, quality time and words of affirmation. That's the way I receive love. So in the way that when someone says something loving to me, I like really take that and hold it and put it in my pocket for a, a low self-esteem rainy day or a day of self-loathing. Um, in the same way, when I hear negative words, it really tends to go on rotisserie in my brain. Yeah. So I think there's something um, applaud, like that I applaud in somebody who's like, yeah, I can take it. Give, give, me, give me your best shots and like, I'll be fine. It's all just words and it's all in good fun anyway. There's something really like, I, I respect that because I certainly couldn't do it, man. I certainly couldn't do it. Um, well, that was helpful. Thanks for an empathetic answer. Uh, make, make me feel not quite as wimpy. Um, yeah. no, it's, it's I am also words, so maybe there is something to that. Yeah, yeah I think that, there is. That's your medium. I think, too, we talk a lot about power dynamics. And, you know, I mean, it's not hard for me to watch white males that have success get blasted. Um, I think that one, just watching Caitlin in particular. But who knows? Maybe you said maybe there was a kind of rapport that had been established between the roasters that day. And that's just not something I have privy to. And that would help me make emotional sense of what was happening if I, if I did have that access to their 
lives. For, for sure. So much of it is about relationship and trust. And we recently had a mega listener contact us and say, like, it seems like Gray's character, like, takes shots a lot at the guest and is, like, sort of, like, fucking with them a little bit or a lot. And um, that really is Greg's kind of like his mischievous sort of like it's his it's his sense of humor. It's it's he he loves to be like you know puck like Shakespeare's puck in the woods. Like yeah. I will you know I'm going to meddle with these uh, uh, humans. Um, but the, I answered the person back and was like, "Yes, you're right. You are picking up on something that is happening. Greg is definitely." Uh, giving them a hard time and having a blast doing it. But it's actually in the world of improv, like he's doing it in a way that is based on the close relationship he has with that person and the trust that they have. Yeah. And so I think you can hear that in the episodes. Yeah. yeah. And if it was somebody who he didn't have like trust and a relationship with, he wouldn't do it. And, and it's, and it's, and it's like that in comedy too. Like you can feel like, yes, there sure. are definitely comedy bullies and there are improv bullies who just, everyone's like, Oh, it doesn't feel good to play like that and to play with that person because it's not coming from a place of trust. It's coming from a place of aggression. And like you feel that and that does happen. Um, so I think that happens in roasts too. It's like, oh, these are two dear friends just taking the piss. Right. And then sometimes there are other times where it's like, whoa, that's a person who there's no love loss between these two. Like this person sure. like actually hates them. And that like yeah. hurts on a soul level kind of, of like, ow. Yeah. Um, we've had you for over an hour. Can we just do a quick, quick uh, rap, fi rap fire stuff at the end here? Absolutely. Hopefully. So um I want to ask you who one of your favorite guests has been, and then I want to tell you mine. Oh, what a great question. Um, oh, what have one of my absolute favorites been? Um, recently, I really liked Lisa Linky, who played the Karen, the white lady who was leading the diversity stuff. <laughs> yeah. I had a, I had a great time uh, playing around with her, and I felt like we were able to like say a lot about that culture that we take issue with and and um and it really scared me and whenever i'm like really scared to put something out i'm like oh good that means we're on to something which is good um i i really had fun with cecily too um cecily strong her character was um she was like i have no background in the church i don't speak the language and i'm really really nervous so can i play a person who doesn't know anything about the church and we'll and we were like yeah man let's see what happens and i remember really laughing so hard at the way she pushed things because it was fun because she doesn't have any church background. So she just wasn't playing by the rules and that yeah. was endlessly fun for me. Um, but man, I laughed really hard recently at a Kevin Dorf one. I don't know if you heard the Kevin Dorf one where he kept punching people in the throat. No, I and didn't. Then, well, oh, I'll go back and listen. That one is really, that's a hard question. If I had to say one, like, what would my favorite guest be? Um, oh, man, that's so hard. Like, uh, we laugh so much in them. Like, a lot of times we'll, we'll um, we usually, after an episode, we, like, take off our headphones and we're immediately like, that one's going to cut great. Or sometimes we'll take off our headphones and be like, that one was rough, but we're going to cut it within an inch of its life to make it really funny. Yeah. You know, Edit, it would become much more editorial. <laughs> um, what, what's yeah. yours? Well, so I think part of it is like just 
um, novelty plays a big factor. So who is the guy for Tim? He's in um, the first episode. Tim, what's his last name? Oh, Thomas Middleditch. Thomas Middleditch. Oh my gosh. I, we were on a road trip traveling from national parks, like up in the East coast. And we have a 12 passenger van, very cliche. I'm a pastor. We have foster kids in addition to our own kids. So we have a lot of them. And I was seriously concerned I was going to crash the car and I was laughing so hard. I was crying. I couldn't recover to tell my wife and I have headphones on, we're driving. So that one, I, I just died, but I probably cause just sheer starstruck factor. Um, Cecily strong. Uh, we're just, we love SNL and we're just very impressed that you know her. Um, the other thing is, uh, I, you have like a pipeline from Veep. You had Matt Walsh and a couple other folks. Um, and those were all really good. And then just in terms of Titans, you guys had Louis Anderson recently, um, which I was just, wow, you know, you've arrived. I remember watching him on Letterman when I was like four. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. He's been doing it that successfully that long. Yeah, he is a lifer, man. And he is such a sweetie. He's so great. He's so great. He's such a beautiful person. He's someone who, he just, we were talking on the phone recently and he was like, Holly, I just feel like the whole reason I am here in the world is to bring people joy. I want Mm. people to be happy and I want them to have the best human experience they can possibly have. He's just like pure light and love. He is a an actual teddy bear. He's so tender hearted. Oh, I've really become like very, very into him. <laughs> He's so sweet. And he contacted me out here because we have the same manager and he he came across a treatment. He was he had like a development deal at FX at the time, I think because he'd gotten an Emmy for baskets and he um he had a development deal there and he came across one of my treatments, a a TV treatment I had written and he contacted me and he was like, I think this is so good and I want to star in this and let's get this made and let's take it out and pitch it. And we like did all this and worked really hard and it never FX passed and we didn't get it sold anywhere. And, but we became friends in the process. And actually before I got on with you today, I was talking with him on the phone and he was like, I love election day. I can't wait for tomorrow. I've always watched everything all day long with my whole life all the way back to like whatever president when he was really little. And, um, and we're, we're, uh, we're reworking our TV pitch and taking it back out. So I'm really excited. And so, yeah, I was. Oh, I, fun. Well, you deserve it. Yeah. Oh, thanks. He's, I'm glad you liked that. I thought that one was like all over the place. That one was uh, wily and really squirrely, but I was like, I think it's really funny. I mean, everything Louis says is just, he's such a goof. He's yeah. Um, okay. Next one. I was going to say, um, so who's the, the pastor Steve, right? Mm-hmm. Will he ever make an appearance? And if so, um, who, who would you love to, to play him or special guest for that one? I don't know why we, from the beginning, were like, you'll never see Steve. Um, uh, almost because of, I feel like it is that way in these mega churches that the pastor is yeah. this untouchable celebrity who can do no wrong. You know, like I came from uh, Willow Creek. I worked at Willow Creek and yeah. Bill Hybels. Have you heard of him? Oh, it we was, don't. It was just Bill. And that's why I wanted to just, just Steve. It's just Steve, you know? Like, I'm really? trying to get him to just Josh, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be like Cher and Madonna. Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, we were like, you'll, we'll ne- I don't know why, but we were just like, you'll never see Steve. We'll never see Steve because it, it's sort of that he's that untouchable, 
like that in the megachurch, the big time pastor is like a celebrity. It's like bananas. And so we were like, you'll never hear him. It, but we kind of went back on that one time and we had our friend Todd Cooper, who used to work at um, Saddleback. And so he like can totally speak the megachurch language. Uh -huh. We did, I think it was our first ever Christmas mega episode. Okay. And we were like, we're going to um, interview a lot of the artists who do the like aerial stuff for the big Christmas show. Uh -huh. the, the actors and the dancers and the aerialists and everything for the ma massive Christian Christmas production. And then we're going to also cut to um, clips of Steve preaching his like big Christmas message. And so we all sat around a table and we had a bunch of comedians like playing all the different like the dancers and the aerialists and the actors and the singers in the church program. And then our friend Todd Cooper, who actually played um, like a financial, he's like the money guy at Twin Hills. He had already played another character, but we were oh, okay. Like, I remember that one. Him. We were like, will you come like, cause you speak the mega church language. Will you come play Steve? And we did this thing that I can't believe we put him in this position. This is so hard to do. We're just live while we're recording. We'd be like, Oh yeah. And, and this was such a great part of the creative programming. And then we went and heard Steve talk about this and we would just turn and look at Todd who's sitting there at a mic and he would have to like, he was just improvising and having oh, to like, word. like come up with a snippet from a Christmas message right there in the moment and he did it and i look back now and i'm like man we threw like such a heavy load on him and he nailed it and afterwards he was like i'm shaking like a leaf that's one of the hardest things i've ever done yeah. but yeah. anyway but a lot of people don't know it but in that one first ever christmas episode you do okay. hear clips i'm gonna go back of steve yeah. so steve's been established i was thinking it would, you could like get alec baldwin or somebody like a titan of the industry <laughs> to play the lead steve. pastor that's not actually thank you for that because that's not a bad idea if we do have another oh my gosh see we've been trying to get um patrick stewart who's our kind of neighbor and um uh, like we've gotten really close with patrick and his wife because my husband greg he's in the improvised shakespeare company that does this incredible like uh, improv shakes show at largo out here and they're incredible and patrick stewart like fell in love with the show and then started playing with them and then greg and patrick got pretty close and then I got pretty close with um, Patrick's wife. She's my age and we we're like so simpatico and we became fast friends. And so we've been trying to get Patrick on. And so every time we're over at their house, we're just like, Patrick, you have to come on our podcast, blah, 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 blah. And he's always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he'll like never respond to like the email we send to try to like set a date, you know? And yeah. we're like, he doesn't want to do this. Yeah. And, um, uh, but he, like, if we could get someone like him, you're yeah. right. You're giving me my first ever idea of this is like, we should just have, if we ever have a huge name, we should just make it Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Holly, thanks so much. Um, yeah. I want to respect your time. This has been so much fun for us. And of course we feel incredibly honored that you would take time to do this. Um, and just for record, I really did think Greg was Australian for like five episodes. It wasn't <laughs> until I started reading around. So I'm a terrible at impression, so maybe it's just my lack of ability, but please compliment him for us. I will. He, the first time on the pilot episode when we first started recording, I was like, you have to be Australian. Every mega church has like a too cool for school Australian. Yeah. And Greg's like, I can't do that accent. I'm not good at it. And I was like, just do it. Anyway, it'll be funny if you're <laughs> bad. 
And then, and now people are like, I think it's good. And I'm like, that's so great. It's just so great. We're all dumb Americans, but it sounds good to us. <laughs> We've had Australians be like, that's actually more New Zealand. And we're like, wait on now. It's yeah. funny because yesterday, Greg and I were like driving and I was like thinking about Mega and I was like, Greg, if you think about Hallie and Gray, they're like the most unlikely pair of friends in the world like you would never put those two people right. together i was like what keeps them together and greg was like i think it's hallie's need for relevancy and gray's need for attention yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah they're an, they're an unlikely pair especially as it's starting to feel way more and more like gray is like totally closeted right <laughs> yeah we're cheering for him it helps his his uh his girlfriend's been killed, so. I know. Can you believe that? We were even surprised. <laughs> I was like, this is cool. We're killing people. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, I, well, I'm, gonna... I'm so glad that you reached out, both of you. Well, I, you I still are... can't figure out why you said yes, but I'm but elated. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, you you told me that, um, you know, she and I were going to be I sold you on Taylor, and, and I don't feel like I was being disingenuous. Yeah, Taylor and I were like, oh, we're two peas in a pod, blammo. But also, you were just honestly so sincere and tenderhearted. And um, I felt your energy right away and was like, let's do this. So thank you. Well, I'm going to make my wife listen to the last part of this. So thank you. (laughs) That's good. He's great. He's great. Thank you so much for this. And um, uh, yeah, um, I really appreciate the the time and the smiles and the energy. And so um, all the best to you and and, in Waco. And um, Thank you so much. It was a true treat and a treasure. Thank you. Have a good one.